Well, I do want to invite you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. And uh, just to remind you this morning that there are many voices. Uh, People have opinions. People sometimes even claim to be speaking on behalf of God. But only the Bible uh, gives us the sure word of God. So let's read from the Bible. I'm going to focus just on a a single phrase, but just to give some context, let's read from the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything uh, made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's just pray together. Thank you for this word, our God. And we have sought this morning to exalt you in singing, in coming before you, in acknowledging our need. But Lord, we know too that. We need to hear from you as well. And thank you for the scripture that opens our eyes and ears to that which you have revealed. And so by your spirit, won't you be at work through me among us, each of our lives. And Lord, we've sung much about bowing down this morning. May we leave here this morning as those who really do submit to you as one who is worthy of all honor and praise. Amen. There is a new practice uh, going around in the world today, uh, prevalent, what I would describe, in our global village, and it's known as cancel culture. If any of you have heard of it or been victim to it, but cancel culture is dominating. Uh, the scene at the moment. Those of you who haven't heard of it, let me explain what I mean. If I remember back to my early days in ministry, some 30 years ago now, uh, I was fascinated attending our annual Baptist Union assembly. We would have these assemblies uh, normally at the end of September each year, and on the assembly floor, debate would take place. And various men and women would stand up and they would present different angles, different perspectives, different opinions on particular issues. And there would be rigorous debate. I would watch this and you would think, wow, these people sound as if they are enemies of each other. But sure enough, at lunch break or tea break, I would notice that these debaters on opposite ends of opinion and spectrum would be enjoying lunch together. So they maintained different opinions and yet were able to retain the relationship. It was inspiring for me as a young minister to see the interaction between these godly men, different opinions, but then seeing them able to enjoy conversation over lunch. Well, it's more likely these days to find yourself, and I've been a victim of this, to find yourself cancelled if you have a different opinion from someone else today. 
Let me give you a definition of this cancel culture. Cancel culture, it's also termed call-out culture, is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, whether it be online, social media, or in person. The expression cancel culture has mostly negative connotations. Any one of us, perhaps some of you already, have been victim to this or been subjected to being cancelled. Well, my purpose this morning referring to cancel culture is, and on a Christmas morning message, is I was reading an article in the New York Post, from the New York Post, and quite a significant article, big article, reporting the effort by an emerging group of men and women in the United States who are seeking to cancel Jesus. They want to eradicate Jesus. Initially, I was shocked. I'm sure you would be reading that kind of thing. But then as I thought about it more and more, I realized, hang on, efforts to cancel Jesus has happened down through the ages. It's nothing new. Isaiah prophesied, we know the passage in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, speaking prophetically about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Cancel Jesus, get rid of Jesus. Not just the prophetic writing from the Old Testament. Uh, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, speaking of Jesus, Uh, seeking to encourage believers as they were scattered because of persecution. He says, this is how people treat Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. People have sought to cancel Jesus down through the ages in the context of John chapter 1. Uh, John reports a very similar uh, reaction. Uh, Verse 11, he came to his own. This is the word. The word came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Cancel him. Get rid of him. Ostracize him. So there's nothing new under the sun. But I thought I'd get a little bit closer to the bone. Uh, My sister recommended I listen to a particular sermon uh, by John MacArthur. And uh, I think it was called The Theology of Christmas. And as I was listening to this uh, particular sermon, uh, he quoted uh, something that I thought, hang on a minute, that, that's a subtle form of cancel culture. And it's something that any one of us, in some sense, can be inadvertently participating in. And so, so listen, listen to this uh, What John MacArthur observes is what he calls the paradoxes of Christmas. A a, a subtle effort. Is it a subtle effort by us in society to cancel Jesus? Now let me quote him. He says, year after year, I'm struck by the paradoxes of Christmas. The strange juxtaposition of Christianity and a kind of carnival mentality. The humility and poverty of the stable, confused with the wealth and indulgence of selfishness and gift-giving. The quietness of Bethlehem with the din of the 
shopping mall. The seriousness of the incarnation, I mean the incarnation, and I'm going to speak about the incarnation today. The seriousness of the incarnation with the silliness of the party spirit and the party attitude. Do, do, do you see what John MacArthur is saying? These things we participate in, even as believers, does this really reflect what Jesus is worthy of? Or are we actually also participating in a kind of neutralizing or canceling of who Jesus is and what he accomplished? He continues. He, he speaks of the blinking colored lights juxtaposed, juxtaposed with the star of heaven, the Bethlehem star. He goes on. Cheap plastic toys mixed with the true gift of the wise men. Angels confused with flying reindeer. An ox and an ass in a stable confused with a red-nosed reindeer. And then he concludes. Of all things, the filth of the stable confused with the whiteness of fresh snow. That, of course, in the American context. And so it goes. Uh, One final comment he makes. Mary and Joseph and the North Pole elves. It's kind of hard to look through this. And see the reality. And I think that's my point this morning. The reality of Christmas. What, what is it? What, what ought we to be thinking? What ought we to be responding to? And so my question this morning, and I have only one main point with some implications, is as we look at, at this familiar verse in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh. The question I want to ask, can Jesus be cancelled? Can Jesus be cancelled? And and my one point this morning, I want us to consider something unique about Jesus. That 14th verse, the word became flesh. Surely one of the, well, four of the most profound words ever written down. These words, and I want us to think about them this morning, giving to us clear and concise information, a statement of what became evident, that which we are remembering today, a statement of that which became evident in Bethlehem on this day that we call Christmas. Just let me remind you just what preceded the angel to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be after hearing the news of, 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 of her bringing forth a son? And, and she says, how can this be? Notice these words, since I am a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We need to adjust our thinking in what has been said about Jesus and how his birth came to be. There are some great and capable and successful people in the world today. I was thinking when I was preparing my notes, Elon Musk, Pretoria Boys High, achieving magnificent success in technology and being, I think, one of the richest men in the world at the moment. What amazing ability. 
What about Bill Gates? Surely again, uh, numbered amongst the richest and most capable men in the world. Amazing abilities. Lots of other people you can think of. People who've been able to uh, impress uh, their contemporaries and, 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 and even build lucrative empires. But here's the point. They were conceived just like you and me. Mom and dad. Mom and dad. That's the way they were conceived. Not so Jesus. Not so Jesus. Now again, let's just speculate as some of liberal theologians uh, postulate. If Jesus is the son of a human father and a human mother, and he came into this world through natural biological processes, then he's not God in human flesh. Very important to grab hold of that. No natural union of a husband and a wife could ever bring God into the world. And and that's the core truth. That's why it's so important that we hold on to the revelation given to us in the Bible. The, The core truth of the Christmas story The baby of Bethlehem is uniquely God with us. Emmanuel. The means, the method that God used to take on human flesh. It's the miraculous conception of Jesus in the womb of Virgin Mary. And so I'm bringing you this morning, reminding you that Jesus is in a league all on his own. No other like him. He, Jesus, the word described for us in this passage, was with God from before the beginning of this world. He was equal to the Father, co-creator alongside of him. And at a particular point in time, some 2,100 years ago, plus minus, according to God's unfolding redemption plan, he became flesh, took on flesh. The early church commented and described this as remaining what he was, God. He became what he was not, man. Think a little bit about flesh this morning. Why, why, Why this word flesh? Why didn't John just say became a man or he got a body? Well, There was already back in those days uh, heresy uh, that was floating around the early church where people were beginning to deny the humanity, the full humanity of of Jesus. So John picks up on this blunt, almost very crude word, uh, flesh, uh, to describe humanity. Not skin, you know, is what we would... Maybe think of flesh today, but, but flesh. What flesh? This word flesh in the Bible speaks of the whole person, uh, the, the personhood, uh, humanity, and, and included in that humanity, included in that personhood is weakness. I prayed earlier on because there's some among us today who are frail and weak and, and, and sick. 
uh, this just this past week we had a memorial service in the church, one of our members passing away. I mean, th- this is the reality of, of flesh, vulnerability, uh, dependence. And, and so Christ became, in the words of Adam, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. That's a mystery. The eternal God now, before, forever, God, the eternal, almighty, holy, majestic Son of God, condescends, think of the, the, the humiliation in this, in this process, to become withering grass, to become a fading flower. So remember this morning that Jesus became 100% human, mortal, frail, subject to death. Like us, born of a woman, conceived of the Spirit, and I'll get to some more of that just now. But like us, he grew up as a dependent baby through the stages of, 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 of being an, an, an infant to a toddler, to a teenager, to manhood, to be an adult. Growing, the Bible tells us, in wisdom and stature. Remember today that Jesus got hungry, got thirsty. Each day, he needed to eat and, and drink. He got tired. We have a record of that in the scriptures. He needed to sleep. Remember falling asleep even on the boat in the storm. He felt pain. He cried. Remember at the, the death of, of Lazarus. He rejoiced. He marveled. He, moved. he was moved to anger. He, he expressed compassion. Jesus was fully human. Having become flesh and taken on a body, we notice also as we read the Gospels, he needed to pray. He needed to read the scriptures. He suffered from being tempted. We have the record of that one particular occasion in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. But all the time, submitting to his human father, and of course his heavenly father, to do his will. Don't forget this morning that Jesus, in that body, that same body of flesh, really suffered and shed his blood. He really died. He was really buried. He rose again, and he really ascended into heaven. So my point this morning, and it's a single point that I'm wanting to emphasize, to remind you of, to impress upon you as we leave here this, this Christmas morning. Jesus is uniquely fully God, also fully man. And the implications that I'm going to get to. This, this union, this mysterious union of, of two natures in Christ, uh, one person, is one of the greatest mysteries and we cannot understand. But it doesn't worry me because he's God and I'm a human being. How am I going to comprehend all the complexity of an infinite and eternal God? Which leads me to my second point, and this is the, the practical application. Uh, Lord, help us as, as I prepared this message to, to be equipped to live in the, in, in the day that we live, in the culture that we face. And so this, this unique nature of Jesus, God with us, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, makes it abundantly clear, number one, my first implication, Jesus cannot be canceled. Please, don't think he can be canceled. Don't become disillusioned. Don't fall into a state of despair thinking that the world is going to somehow crush and cancel Jesus. The creature, us... Even if you're bright, even if you're Bill Gates, even if you're Elon Musk, does not have the capacity to decide the fate of the Creator. 
got to get that. We've got to remember it. We've got to treasure that. <laughs> Men have tried, but they fail. They always fail. Every effort to cancel Jesus uh, was made, as we have in the record of Scripture, during his years of humiliation on earth. The religious, the political, the military, they all made an effort to cancel Jesus. Popular consensus was to rid, you know, crucify him, give us Barabbas. <laughs> they tried to cancel Jesus by crucifying him, but what did he do? He rose from the dead and he canceled death. You know, just, just see something of who we worship. You see, I, even this past week I heard uh, a decision apparently by the, the current president of Zimbabwe. He wants to wrap up the statue of Cecil John Rhodes and, and send it back to England. Well, he can do that. He can topple, we can topple statues and, and, and we can ostracize other people or we can bully people if we don't like what they say and, 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 and try and marginalize them and as they, they try to uh, force us into the, the mold of, of lunatic, uh, humanistic ideas. But folk, even if they deny... And even if society at large carries on with, with denying who Jesus is, what he taught, what he accomplished, the reality is he cannot be canceled, and the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That's, that's our Savior. Be, be encouraged as you follow him as your Lord, as your shepherd. Secondly, not only can Jesus not be canceled, I think there is a word that needs to be spoken boldly by the church because in many instances there's a, a softening. Sin must be taken seriously. If, if God needed to, decided to, planned to send His Son to, to save people from their sin in this process of incarnation with the Son becoming flesh, that means that this is serious business that's, that needs serious methodology. Well-known urban myth. Uh, you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, apparently, instantly it jumps out. But if you, put a, if you put it in a pot filled with pleasantly warmish water and you gradually heat the water, we've all heard this illustration, the frog will remain in the water until it boils to death. The lesson, allegedly the frog is not able to detect the gradual increase in temperature until it's too late. The allegory illustrates an aspect of human psychology and I quote, we tend to accept things that creep up on us slowly, steadily, even when they take control of our lives. But one day we wake up and find ourselves in boiling water. And, and, and the church, believers need to be concerned, they need to be vigilant, they need to be watchful that we are not like a bunch of frogs in warmish water that is constantly being heated because one day we're going to wake up and maybe hear those words, away from me, evildoer, I did not know you. Conforming to the world, adjusting to the world in its definition of what is sin and what isn't sin. 
Because the world is intentionally and actively boiling up the water, trying to brainwash and trying to indoctrinate, trying to convince you. I mean, it's ridiculous that, that a man is not necessarily a man and a woman is not necessarily a woman. Lunacy, 21st century. But I find even amongst the church people beginning to say, oh, okay, that might be true. The world is involved in a moral revolution, seeking to convince us that sin does not matter. Folk, I want to tell you this morning, this Christmas morning, sin matters. Sin matters. Sin cannot, morality cannot simply be redefined. Cultural wisdom says, your faults aren't a big deal. Just do as you please. The Bible teaches all your sins are a huge deal. Only Jesus can cancel them. Cultural wisdom explains, you make one wrong move and you're out and I'll eject you. Jesus counters that you make many wrong moves, but I'm moving toward you so close that I take your place on the cross. Sin matters. Sin matters, but, but Jesus has come to deal with the issue of sin. That beautiful verse in Colossians chapter 2, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. There's the verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus, ought to be a reminder to you that sin must be taken seriously. One last point, implication. I want to encourage you this morning that salvation, the salvation you need, is found in Jesus. My stupid little trick this morning with the chain. Jesus makes all things new. And there are a couple of aspects I want to just emphasize, and I hope for your encouragement about this incarnation. You see, folks, since the Word became flesh, since the reality of the incarnation, it was possible for Jesus to proceed with the work of atoning, of the atoning sacrifice. It's possible for Him to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And, and the book of Hebrews, when we dealt with that, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Incarnation, taking on fully man, fully God, a body you have prepared for me. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You can know forgiveness of sin. Jesus, the one who is fully God, fully man, gives infinite value to the atoning work, the atoning blood which Jesus shed for sinners. Number two, since the word became flesh, this is very important then he is the one who is touched with the feeling of his people's infirmities. Now let me put that in simple English. He understands and knows and cares. Because he himself suffered 
as being fully human. And folks, those of us, and I'm one of those, I know at the moment we live in the puddle of tears. We come to tears very quickly. We have pain in our lives. We have disappointment in our lives. We have illness in our families. There's some of you who are suffering and the uncertainty of the future and there's brokenness and there's disappointment and there's hardship and there's a bend in the road. And I'm rereading a book at the moment by Thomas Boston called The Crook in the Lot. And he basically says in that book, man, in this life, you're going to have trouble. But you know what the good news is? Incarnation. The incarnation. The inc- because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, does anybody understand what I'm going through? I, I think other people think that too. Does anybody actually care? He knows, and he cares. And he has compassion. And, and as we move on with that thinking and what the Bible tells us, this constant undivided union of these two perfect natures in Christ's person is, is what gives value to his mediation. In other words, he, the way he represents us before the Father. The two perfect natures qualify him to be the mediator that not only deals with our sin in justification, but in this road of sanctification which can be so painful and so hard. Our mediator is one who can sympathize with us because he is very man. At the same time, not only is he man, at the same time, he's the one who can deal with the Father for us on equal terms because he is God. He's the Almighty because he is God and yet he can feel with us because he's a man. Next one. Since the word became flesh, he then can supply us with a perfect pattern and example for daily life. If Jesus was just like an angel, or if Jesus was some kind of spiritual phantom, how do we follow in his steps? How do we copy him? How do we walk behind him? But you see, having dwelt among us as a man... We know the true standard of holiness. To walk even as he walked. The perfect pattern because he is God. But also the perfect pattern. Exactly suited to our needs. Because he is a human being. He's a man. Since the word became flesh. This is my last one. Let us see in our mortal bodies a true dignity. It's very easy to become very disillusioned about your physical body. Jesus took on the same kind of body. And he gives to our human bodies a dignity. And so even though our bodies are weak and frail, it's a body which the eternal son was not ashamed to take upon himself and even take up to heaven. It's also that same union of the incarnation in the nature of Jesus that gives value to his resurrection. When he rose again as head of the body of believers, he rose not as mere man, but as God. Which means, which means there's, there's a pledge that he will raise our bodies on the last day. As he glorifies that body to be like his own body forever. And so, folks, as I conclude this morning, I just am wanting to remind you of who Jesus really is. 
Because that ought to inspire us, it ought to encourage us, it ought to move us on in and amidst wherever we find ourselves. And I thought I'd, I'd, I'd close with the second verse. I'm going to quote the second verse of the hymn. It's one of my favorite uh, Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But listen to the second, uh, second verse. Hail the heavenly born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. The sermon today. Mild, He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Let's leave here this morning giving glory to the newborn king. And Lord, in, enable us, we pray, and as we, even in the beginning, uh, Lord, acknowledge that apart from your spirit, your Holy Spirit stirring deep within us and inspiring us and moving us and convicting us and leading us, Lord, we, we move along hopelessly. But, but thank you for the gift of your spirit. And corporately, as we've gathered together, but even as we scatter and go our separate ways, that each one of us would know the ongoing work of your spirit within us. Enable us to keep in step with your spirit. Enable us to, as it were, uh, uh, show evidence of the fruit of your spirit. And enabling us ultimately as we bring glory and honor to the newborn king. Glory to the newborn king, Jesus our Savior. Amen. Amen.